Well, good morning and welcome to our special worship service in honor of Thanksgiving. Come to praise God for his great salvation and for his providing for us so faithfully. Before our call to worship, I'd like to read from President Lincoln's Declaration Proclamation for Thanksgiving. Don't do this every year, but I think on occasion it's appropriate. And I want to mention this is in the midst of the Civil War. And if you were to see this, uh, if you had this in front of you, you'd see that it's submitted by President Lincoln, but it's signed by William Seward. And just a little note here, when President Lincoln was assassinated, uh, he was also attacked in a different location. He was stabbed in the face and throat, and his son was wounded. More seriously, both recovered and continued to serve another four years under Lincoln's successor. It's just striking how terrible a time that was with our own civil war and with the assassination that would happen later. I recognize that in many of our southern churches, I probably would not be welcomed to read this, uh, but this was from our president back in those days. So here, what he had to say. And there's a lot of profound things in here, so I'll read rather slowly. Washington, D.C., October 3rd, 1863, by the President of the United States, a proclamation. The year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart, which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seemed to foreign states to invite and to provoke their aggression, peace has been preserved with all nations, order has been maintained, the laws have been respected and obeyed, harmony has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict. While that theater has been greatly contracted by the advancing armies and navies of the Union, needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry to the national defense have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements and the mines as well of iron and coal as of the precious metals have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. Population has steadily increased, notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp, the siege, and the battlefield, and the country rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor is permitted to expect continuance of years with large increase of freedom. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has seemed to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart 
and observe the last Thursday of November next as a Thanksgiving day. And praise to our beneficent, beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. And I recommend to them that while offering up the ascriptions justly due to him for such singular deliverances and blessings, they do also with humble penitence for our national perverseness and disobedience, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, and mourners or sufferers in the lamentable civil strife in which we are unavoidably engaged. And fervently employ the interposition of the Almighty Hand to heal the wounds of the nation and to restore it as soon as may be consistent with the divine purposes to the full enjoyment of peace, harmony, tranquility, and union. In testimony whereof I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed, done at the city of Washington this third day of October, in the year of our Lord 1863, and of the independence of the United States, the 88th, by the President, Abraham Lincoln. Let's bow our heads for a time of silent prayer. And Lord, we do come into your presence this morning with great thanksgiving. Amen. Please rise for the call to worship which comes from Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Our opening hymn is Come Ye Thankful People Come, 715 in the Trinity Hymnal.
Grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we're so thankful that we can come into your presence, not in an earthly temple made by the hands of men, but we join our hearts with heaven itself as we worship you this morning. Lord, we praise you for our great salvation. We thank you for your constant provision. And we come to you in the name and in the power of our Savior Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to read for us from Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. In the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work. And his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They're established forever and ever to be performed with the faithful and up with faithfulness and uprightness he sent redemption to his people he has commanded his covenant forever holy and awesome is his name the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom all those who practice it have good understanding his praise endures forever our next hymn is 363 we gather together Let's join our hearts together in prayer as a congregation.
Oh Lord, we have gathered together to ask for your blessing, and the greatest blessing is to know you and to know your presence. And so, Lord, we thank you that you are here with us and that you make your presence known to your congregation as they gather together. You make your presence known in a very special way. And so we rejoice in your presence this morning. We bring you praise and adoration because you alone are worthy of all praise and adoration. We exalt you. You are the one true living God. You are all glorious, majestic, and mighty. We praise your holy name. And today we thank you as we ought always to thank you each and every day, moment by moment. Lord, we thank you in a very special way today as we gather together on this Thanksgiving day. Lord, truly you are our great deliverer and our savior. You are our sustainer and our keeper. And you provide for us daily all that we need. And as we celebrate with friends and family and brothers and sisters in the Lord, we pray that you would bless our celebrations today. That while we feast and while we have lots of fun with our festival, that we would never lose sight of the fact that we owe you deep, heartfelt thanks. We praise you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Lord, you have given us many blessings after blessings. You've given us a nation in which we have tremendous freedom. You've given us resources beyond compare. Lord, you've given us the ability to gather together in worship. As we think of our forefathers from England, many other forefathers and mothers as well, but when we think how they left to exercise freedom of worship in a new colony, we think so many years later of how thankful we are that we still experience great freedom to worship. Lord, we know that our nation is far from bowing our knees before you, but we thank you that your people have such great privileges and freedoms in our nation. We do pray for our nation as the celebrations go throughout our country. And we recognize that so little focus in the population is on you. And Lord, we grieve over that. We pray that you would turn the hearts of this people, that we would remember that you are the almighty God who provides all that we have. And were you to withdraw your hand for one moment, we would be utterly desperate. But Lord, you're merciful and you're kind, and you've been merciful and kind to this nation. Even though we've sinned against you in so many ways, so grievously, Lord, you have shown mercy, and we give you praise for that. Lord, we thank you for the abundance of goodness you've given to your church, the fruit of the Spirit. We thank you that you've sent your Holy Spirit to your people and that we're indwelt and that we can enjoy your presence knowing that not only are you near, but through the Holy Spirit you indwell your people, you indwell your church. We do pray that we would be profitable for your kingdom, that you would use us, Lord, and that you would use us to multiply your kingdom as we would bear fruit in our lives by your grace and your mercy at work in us, Lord. We pray that that would be a witness to others. Lord, we've sung about an ingathering, and Lord, we look forward to a great ingathering of your people from every nation. So even as we celebrate today and thank you for your salvation, thank you for abundant provision, Lord, we also thank you that you are calling people to be a part of your kingdom from every nation, tongue, and tribe. And so we're thankful for that. 
Lord, we do pray that you would be with those of our loved ones who can't be with us because of sickness and illness, because they're bound in their homes, but also for some who are far away because of their service. We remember our missionaries as they're away from home for the holidays and ask that you would comfort them and bless them. And wherever they are, that they would still be able to celebrate the great Thanksgiving feast to you. And that you would use them in their context to witness to those around them. That they would testify to why they are thankful. And that ultimately, your missionaries, wherever they are, would point their neighbors to the Lord Jesus. We remember our military personnel, many a part of this church. We pray for them as they're away from home, some of them possibly in situations where they're in danger. But Lord, wherever they are, if they're away from their homes, away from their families, we pray that you would comfort them and bless them. Not only this Thanksgiving Day, but in the days to come, as so many will be celebrating the Advent, the first Advent of our Savior Jesus, and gathering together as families. We pray for those who can't be with us because they're serving in the military. We ask that you would be with them, strengthen them, bless them. Lord, we also pray that if there's any strangers or lonely among us, Lord, that you would point them to you and comfort them, and may they find a home to worship in, to feast in, or that your believers would know that they're a part of your family. And that even the stranger among us who may not know you would know that they are welcome. They are welcome to be a part of our community. Lord, and we pray that they would one day be a part of the fellowship in the Lord Jesus. We ask that you would use this church, use us as individuals, Use us as families as we are thankful to you. May our thanks reverberate to those around us that they might know that we praise the one true and living God through the Lord Jesus Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit. And we do give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll now receive your offerings, your thanksgiving offering. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we do thank you, and we never cease thanking you for the way that you provide for us. You've provided for our households, you've provided for this church, and now we pray that you would bless this offering as we collect it to provide for another ministry. Lord, we ask that you would multiply our offering as we trust many others are providing for them as well. So please bless these offerings as we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen.
like you to turn in your Bibles to Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Chapter 23, it's found on page 102 in your pew Bibles. Leviticus 23, beginning in verse 33, this is the word of God. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month, and for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. On the first day, on the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. There ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray together. Almighty God, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you for every part of it for these Old Testament laws and these celebrations that teach us so much about you and about the way that you work with your people and how you always direct us back to you. Lord, as we explore this great passage and as we consider this great celebration, we pray that you would help us to see clearly how it does have meaning for us even today. Lord, minister to us, we ask through the preaching of your word, send your spirit in a special way to the preacher and all of us who will hear as we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I often wonder which of our holidays are most biblical, and I'm always convinced that it is Thanksgiving, that Thanksgiving has the closest representation in Scripture than any other of the holidays that we celebrate as far as ordained Holidays. The other holidays that we celebrate certainly reflect biblical things, at least the Christian holidays, but Thanksgiving has a very solid biblical background. I wondered if it wasn't the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Tabernacles that isn't the one that reflects things the best. It's known as Sukkot. It is a celebration that's five days after Yom Kippur, that that ominous day of atonement where sacrifices were made for the atonement of sin, that that very somber celebration, Uh, just a little later, the Israelite people were able to celebrate Sukkot, which was a very exciting, joyful celebration. You see this throughout Scripture, especially throughout the Old Testament, in different places where the laws are spelled out more specifically. You see it in uh, practice whenever there is repentance in the land. When there's repentance in the land, people turn back to the things that God has commanded them to do. 
This annual seven-day celebration ends up actually being an eight-day celebration, and it is Old Testament-style Thanksgiving. It's a commemoration, first of all, of history, commemorating the fact that God delivered the people from Egypt, and he provided for them for 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness. And there's an element of appreciation for the way that he provided for them, but also for the immediate ingathering of the harvest. This would come at the harvest time when they were enjoying the fruits of the land. But it was a celebration, and it was a full-blown celebration annually. Uh, Details, when you look at it, are overwhelming, and for us would seem very tedious. I think it's important for us to remember that when the Old Testament people were involved in these Old Testament types of worship that in some ways are so foreign to us that that was their worship. And if their hearts were right and if their hearts were engaged, there was joy in these things. There was joy in the worship. And so while it may seem tedious and overwhelming to us, it was the Old Testament style of worship. And this one is filled with thanksgiving. Now, first you have the booths. They would build booths in commemoration of the fact that they lived in booths 40 years as they traveled in the wilderness. And they would build these structures with three sides and an entrance so people could come in and out. And then it had a roof over it made out of branches. And they intentionally left gaps in the branches so they could not only see the stars, so their eyes were always pointed towards heaven while they were in these booths, but it would also allow in rain should the Lord send rain to remind them of the way that God provides for the ground to produce fruit. They would decorate these booths with colorful fruits of the harvest. As tradition went on through the years, it became more elaborate. They were to eat meals inside these booths during the eight-day celebration, and they were supposed to invite friends to show hospitality, especially to the poor, to invite them into their homes to celebrate. It was a fun celebration. But they were never to lose focus on the fact that they were celebrating in the presence of the God who provided for them all that they needed. The booth part, the sukkah part, that's what the booths were called, is the easy part. So it seems when you get to the sacrifices, it is overwhelming. The community worship service was immense. Eight days of sacrifice. You look at the numbers of beasts. I I purposely didn't read the passage where it's all spelled out. But if you were to look at Numbers 29, you would see the details. I'll just give you a sense of what's going on there during these sacrifices. Uh, The first day, there's, there's a bunch of sacrifices in addition to the regular offerings. So first, it's 13 bullocks, 13 bullocks. Each day, they would diminish the number of bullocks or bulls. There were always two rams, 14 male lambs, and then there's always one lonely goat. That one lonely goat is the sin offering. And they would do this every day of these eight days. And it involved all different aspects of these offerings. You might be familiar with some of the terms from the Old Testament, the burnt offering for unintentional sin, devotion and surrender to God. That was voluntary grain offerings, God's, in reflection of God's goodness and his provision. That was also voluntary. 
Drink offerings were voluntary. The sin offering, that one that represented atonement for sin, was not voluntary. That was mandatory. And then there's free will offerings involved as well. But I can't help but always think about that one lonely goat each day, that sin offering. And so the people of Israel were to celebrate this each and every day, full-blown celebration for eight, I mean, each and every year for eight days. But as is true with the entire Old Testament, it's always pointing to something much bigger. I want you to jump ahead in your Bibles to the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah. Second to last book of the Old Testament. This celebration was never to be just written off as something that they did in a rote way. It was always to be wholehearted worship and devotion, but it also spoke to something much bigger to come. Zechariah 14, verses 16 and 17. Speaking of the great day of the Lord, that's still to come, that thing that everyone in Old Testament Israel who was faithful looked for, including the coming of Messiah. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. And if any of the families of earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, There will be no rain on them. And we'll just end right there. But this is speaking of something so much bigger. It's speaking of a great harvest, a great ingathering. We sang, come ye thankful people, come. That's partly about the regular harvest of vegetables and fruits. But it's also about the great ingathering of people from every nation. And so ultimately, that's what this Feast of Tabernacles is about. And that's what Zechariah is pointing to. The time when all nations will come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And there's a penalty for not coming. How is this possible? Are we talking about a literal Jerusalem? Are we talking about really people from every nation gathering together for this kind of massive eight-day sacrifice? No, we're speaking of something far greater and in gathering into the kingdom of God from people from every nation. How is it possible that something on such a grand scale could ever take place. It has everything to do with the coming of Christ and people being called through Christ to come into the kingdom and celebrate in the presence of God. Jump ahead in your Bibles to John chapter 7. Jesus, Jesus, like any good Jew of his day, would celebrate Sukkot, with his Jewish brothers and sisters. And John chapter 7 is in the context of that very celebration. That very celebration. During that celebration, there were certainly the sacrifices, there were certainly all those rituals. There was one practice that would take place 
that had to do with water. In Jesus' day, that practice was that the priest would take water from a golden vessel and pour it on the ground. At the climax of the festival, he would pour it on the ground. And that would represent God sending down his blessing from heaven, the rain. And they would actually look forward, according to Joel, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit coming down like rain on the people. It's in this context that this happens in John 7, 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus is saying that he's the fulfillment of that very outpouring of water. And then there's an issue of light. The Hebrew people carried around torches around the temple, illuminating and brightening the place with candelabras and the walls of the temple to show that the Messiah would ultimately be a light to the Gentiles. It's in that context, the very next chapter. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus, the fulfillment of that part of that ritual. But most importantly of all, or maybe I shouldn't say most importantly of all, but, but maybe most striking and most powerful of all is the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of the sacrifices. And all the blood of all those animals that were sacrificed were pointing to the blood of Jesus Christ that would be shed. And then there's that one lonely goat, that one sin offering, that mandatory sacrifice that would have to take place to represent the forgiveness of sins. That sacrifice, the mandatory, the necessary sacrifice is not after all a goat in the whole cosmic scene of things and our whole need for reconciliation to God and our whole need for the true forgiveness, final atonement of our sins is in no beast, no animal, no, no sacrifice other than the willing sacrifice of the Savior Jesus himself. The atoning sin offering. Well, it's through Jesus and the preaching of the gospel that that ingathering of the nations began. And the gospel going out into the world continues to call people from every tribe, tongue, and nation from everywhere to come into the kingdom through Christ alone. That great harvest where there's great feasting. Some refuse. And the results of that are tragic. It's always a fair question when you read the Old Testament 
to say, why don't, we, why don't we worship that way anymore? Why don't we do all those things? That was probably this one in particular, a lot of fun for the little Israelite children. Why don't we do it anymore? The simple answer is, it's all been fulfilled in Christ. It's all been fulfilled in Christ. And yet, we still celebrate. We still celebrate our salvation. We still celebrate God's provision. Now, the parallel isn't as clear as it is with things like our celebration of the Lord's Supper, clearly a reflection of the Passover. Or our sacrament of baptism connected to circumcision. Those are much clearer representations in the New Testament of things that took place in the Old. But, but we still celebrate Thanksgiving, appropriately just like we're here today. Uh, it's, it's an American tradition. It's far more than just a tradition. It should be a spiritually focused celebration. That's what the pilgrim forefathers had in mind. They weren't big on things like Easter, They weren't big on things like Christmas. They certainly didn't have some of the other holidays that we have in our nation, but they knew, they knew their dependence upon God well. They made it over on the Mayflower. Their first year was not successful. But they had in mind God's care for them and God's provision. And when I read these words from William Bradford, one of the originals, you'll recognize that they made a connection with the way that God delivered Israel from Egypt and the way God delivered them from the oppression of the leadership in England that led them to come to our country. Listen to what Bradford says in his collection, Plymouth Colony. I'm very thankful, by the way, somebody put this in regular English. Here we go. What could now sustain them but the Spirit of God and His grace? May not and ought not the children of these fathers rightly say, Our fathers were Englishmen which came over this great ocean and were ready to perish in this wilderness. But they cried unto the Lord, and He heard their voice and looked on their adversity. Let them therefore praise the Lord because he is good and his mercies endure forever. Yea, let them which have been redeemed of the Lord show how he has delivered them from the hand of the oppressor. When they wandered in the desert wilderness out of the way and found no city to dwell in, both hungry and thirsty, their soul was overwhelmed in them. Let them confess before the Lord his loving kindness and his wonderful works before the sons of men. Sometimes we forget what our pilgrim forefathers were dealing with in England. But if you read stories of the nonconformists, some of the trials that they underwent were deeply disturbing and horribly painful. And it was that persecution that drove them here. Well, after their first year of struggling, they had a year of abundance. And so they called this great three-day celebration together that reflects more of what we celebrate, maybe even then Sukkot. Edward Winslow recounts what that was like. He writes, Our governor sent four men on fouling. 
so that we might after a special manner rejoice together. After we had gathered the fruits of our labors, they for in one day killed as much fowl as with a little help beside served the company almost a week, at which time amongst other recreations we exercised our arms, they shot their guns, many of the Indians coming among us, and among the rest, their greatest king, Massasoit, with some 90 men, whom for three days we entertained and feasted, and they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation, and bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. And although it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. What a great celebration. They could reflect on the goodness and the abundance that the Lord had provided for them, and they could celebrate with their wonderful Indian or American, Native Americans, as some like to call that group, their neighbors that they had good relationships with, at least at this point, celebrate with great joy with all kinds of festivals, praising the God of creation, praising the God of provision, and sharing that with their neighbors. Well, that's the tradition that's been passed down to us. It's on our national calendar. And it's full of festivity. And so I think the first thing that we rejoice in and the first thing that we give thanks for is our deliverance. Thanksgiving to God for delivering us from the bondage of our sin through the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanksgiving for salvation and thanksgiving for sustenance. Thanking our provider in full celebration. Here in fellowship and then with family and those showing some hospitality. Inviting the poor to participate with thankful hearts. You think about what this is all about, going back to the Old Testament celebration, the promise that we read about in Zechariah, the fulfillment in Christ. And it's an invitation, isn't it? Jesus Christ came and tabernacled among us so that we might enter into the kingdom. And so here we are. We are, we are the poor We are the poor. We are the sinners invited into the household of God. We might not be poor in material wealth, but poor in spirit, poor sinners called to feast at the table of Christ. And so we come with thankful hearts. You know, with all the Old Testament rites and sacrifices, They were very important. They had to keep them with precision. But it was always about their hearts. What made their worship legitimate was their hearts. Thankful, worshipful, wholehearted thanksgiving to God, their Savior and Provider. Well, may it be that we have true thanksgiving in our hearts for the glorious salvation we have in Christ 
for the daily provision our God makes for us. May we celebrate with great joy in the presence of God, our Savior and Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your many mercies towards us. And above all, we thank you for the salvation that we know in Jesus. And yet daily, we recognize that you provide for us the breath of life. You've given us food and drink. Lord, we will celebrate today in your presence many things that are part of our American tradition with different parts of our celebration, some things that are sacred, some things that aren't. We thank you that we can gather together this morning at any rate to worship you. But may our hearts throughout the day and day after day be filled with wholehearted thanksgiving to you. You are our God, you are our Savior, our sustainer and our keeper. And we give you all the praise and all the glory as we come to you in the name of Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our closing hymn is a psalm, a rendition of a psalm, and it's found in the Red Psalter, page 309. We'll sing stanzas one to five. Oh, give the Lord wholehearted praise, and we'll please stand as we sing.
now receive the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.